Welcome back to Hearsay, the podcast about justice by students of justice. Uh, my name is Toby Reed. I'm the criminal justice instructor at Attleboro School System. Uh, it is a three-year program for people who are interested in uh, these ideas of justice. Uh, today we have with us Leah Martins. Uh, she is a senior in the three-year program. Uh, Leah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So. Uh, if you could just give us a little bit of a background about uh, who you are, what you enjoy, well, anything you want us to know about you as a human. Um, well, my name's Aaliyah. I'm 18. I have three sisters and a brother. I like reading. And I usually spend a good amount of day inside. <laughs> uh, what are you I reading lately? Um, Nothing right now, but the last book I read like a week ago or maybe two was The Mockingbird. So, well, wait, what was it? To Kill a Mockingbird, yes, yes, classic, classic lost book, yeah, yeah, definitely something. Lots of people named their children Atticus after uh, after that. Uh, my daughter, the very first time she was old enough to go out for. Uh, Halloween, uh, we dressed her up as a ham. Because <laughs> an interesting costume. Because Scout goes dressed as a ham in To Kill a Mockingbird. I see you like the book then. I do like the book. Uh, so yes, we had an old ham. My, my mom helped sew a ham costume, and and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was the big read that year for Attleboro, and so we dressed her up as a little baby ham. Um, to reference To Kill a Mockingbird. So I am very familiar with the book. Uh, don't read the sequel. Okay. Just, just don't. Why, is it like that? Uh, so To Kill a Mockingbird was written like 50 years ago. And that's the only book she ever wrote. Like she never wrote another book. And then they published the sequel to it, like four or five years ago. And um, it got a lot of controversy because it painted Atticus as a straight up racist, which was interesting considering how he was like a hero to a lot of people for not being a racist. Yeah. Um, and like, there was some discussion about like, yeah, but he was still a white dude in the South at the time, he probably was a racist who also believed in justice. Um, and so a lot of people, a lot of people who named their kids Atticus were quite upset now because now their kid was named after a, a racist. Um, so it, it changes Atticus as a human. Um, you know, he was a, a hero um, for racial justice. He was all this sort of stuff. And then the new book kind of flips that on its head. Uh, which is interesting, but if you liked the book, it makes people upset. So don't read the sequel. Well, if you liked the book. <laughs> well, I like the book, though. I if, if you liked Atticus as a human and you were like, wow, he was a good guy, uh, then don't read the sequel. If you're like, it probably, because the, the new one's written from uh, Scout's point of view as an adult. And so she's in New York City, I think, and she lives in New York, and she's thinking back about her, her childhood and stuff like that. And 
she's like a little disturbed by how racist her dad was. So, well, I'll, you you decide. Uh, you know, it's she's a decent writer. Um, it's interesting to follow up with the same characters like 50 years later when Scout's like almost in her 60s, uh, thinking back over what's happened and how life is, how the U.S. has changed over the time and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it does change the characterization of of a classic American character, Atticus Finch. So um, we could talk books all day, but that's not the point of the podcast. So we'll we'll save that for afterwards. Uh, three years ago, what made you join the program? Um, well, before I went to high school, I was interested in the criminal justice system. I just thought like it needed to be changed a little. So when we were talking about high school in eighth grade, they mentioned that there was a criminal justice program. So I already knew I wanted to join. And then when we finally did the rotations, I was like, yep, I'm joining. So that's it. All right. Uh, and uh, out of the last three years or so, who's been your favorite guest speaker? I have a horrible memory, so I don't remember. We've had like 30 of them. I know, we have had a lot. But I remember there was one guy in the auditorium. I don't remember his name. I just remember he told us a story about um, there was this guy that was in the backyard. He was dead and they dug him underground or something. Yes, something like Sergeant Detective, uh, Lieutenant Detective Grassel from the Rhode Island State Police's uh, forensic unit. Yeah. Yes. Yes, uh, he, he did tell some interesting stories, uh, stories that I did not anticipate him telling and did not give a trigger warning for. <laughs> Thought he was going to talk about like how we use fingerprints, not like I think he started one of his stories with imagine your grandmother's head cut off. <laughs> you're like, no, I don't <laughs> want to imagine that. And he was like, well, because that's what we found. And you're like, OK, we don't. That's cool. Uh, you don't have to do that. Uh, what's been your favorite uh, project or topic that we've studied over the last three years? Um, I think my favorite project was the Innocence Project. Why? I just like how it brought attention to what when things can go wrong and like how you can help. I just, I like that. And so the Innocence Project project was where you got, had to look at People that were operated for crimes that they didn't commit. Um, have you read Just Mercy? No. All right, we'll write that down. Just uh, Mercy. Wait, did you see the movie? No, I have no idea what that is. Okay. Uh, Just Mercy is a book by Brian Stevenson, and he's a lawyer. And he went down south uh, to defend people that he thought were imprisoned incorrectly. Uh, and he wrote a book about it called Just Mercy. Uh, I'll send you his TED Talk. You should look at that, too. It's only like 10 minutes long. Um, and the case is amazing. Uh, the guy's alibi is that he was selling fish at a fish fry to the police at the time the murder happened. And they still arrested him for the murder. Uh, and he was in jail for many, many years. 
no surprise, he happened to be black. And um, it was down south. And it, there was absolutely no way this guy was guilty, like none at all. Um, and yet he spent decades in prison. And uh, Stevenson writes a book about how he fought to get him out of prison and all that sort of stuff. It's a really, really good book. And then it was turned into a movie with Michael B. Jordan as Brian Stevenson. You know Michael B. Jordan? I do know Michael He's a good looking man. He's a good reason to watch that movie anyway. Um, if nothing else, just to watch Michael B. Jordan for two hours. It's not a, it's not a bad waste of my time or your time. Um, so I would recommend you read the book. Uh, I recommend you watch the movie too, but read the book first. I will. Um, I usually it is Sarah Del Pazzo's favorite book of all time. Okay, I'll look into it. I'll see I have I a copy here. I will drop it off if I need to. Okay. Um, I'm actually going to school later today. Oh, really? What time? Um, I'm going to go do my senior dues. I think around like 2 o'clock. You want to swing by? If they let me in, I don't know if they're going to let me in. Well, if they're letting you in to do your senior dues, right? Um, I think so. I don't know if it's like outside because they said something about a drive store. But oh, okay. Because um, I do have, uh, I do have the COVID book for you. So I have that for you that I was going to drop off at some point. But if you're here, I can also just meet you outside if that's easier or whatever. But like, let me know what you're doing. I can tell the office that you're coming into me and they'll let you in. Okay. Um, so it's up to you. But I do have the I do have something for you here. Okay. Um, what are your plans for post high school? Um, go to college. Four. Psychology. I think I'm going to major in that. To do what? Uh, right now, I'm kind of iffy, but I kind of want to be a forensic psychologist. Okay. So, that. And why does forensic psychology interest you? Well, because you have to figure out why people, not actually figure out why, but like understand a little bit more why people are doing what they're doing, why it like in terms of criminal justice and like why they didn't do a certain crime or just anything. Um, and so even though that's the topic of interest uh, for like your major, the topic we're talking about today has nothing to do with that, correct? Yeah. So we're talking about racial disparity in sentencing? Yes, we are. And so what do you know about it or what, what, why is that interesting to you? Um, well, a while ago I was looking at um, issues in the criminal justice system and that caught my attention. And then when I looked it up, I saw that it was, I wrote, wrote it down. I saw that it was, um, it was the percentage of a certain ethnic or racial group that was a higher amount in jail than it was in actual population so i just thought that was weird but there's like more people a certain race in jail than there actually is the population it just it seemed kind of unfair so if we're talking about let's say the african-american population that's mm -hmm. about what do they say around 18 to 20 percent of the population 
and I think it's like 60% of prison population. Yeah, that's weird. And that's so, why? It just shows like another way that the system is So I'm going to steal person the argument and, you know, play devil's advocate here. Why isn't it just prove that African Americans are more likely to be criminals? Well, I was looking at it and it said that, a, let's say a black person and a white person, if they were convicted of the same crime, a black person is more likely to be convicted longer than its white counterpart. So I just, that doesn't really make sense. If a crime is a crime, you should get the same amount of time no matter what. Okay, so because there's a whole bunch of issues here, right? So one of the issues is uh, equality in sentencing, right? So are people of different races getting different punishments based kind of on their race? I feel like they are, yeah. And there is some statistics that say that that's true, correct? Mm -hmm. So how do you fix it? Um, we can decrease bias jury or judges okay um bring attention awareness so do you remember judge o'shea a little bit. tall guy judge from attleboro had his uh statue of justice with him talked to us at the courthouse too yes uh he does this analogy that i really like so do you play any video games? No. Neither do I. We're both smart people. Um, have you ever seen a video game? Yeah. Okay. Name one. Uh, my nephew plays Fortnite. Okay. So when you're playing Fortnite, uh, is each character slightly different? I don't really know who I'm like that. I think so. Yeah. I think you uh, get some different Yep. So you, you can customize your character, right? Mm -hmm. And so they have the ability to change who the character is, change how the character acts. Uh, they have the ability to do some really technical stuff that makes your character different from somebody else's. Yes? So if they have the ability to do all that crazy stuff, which is pretty advanced, why, like, should we um, digitize the justice system? Like, should we make a program where, like, you put in what crime you did, how many times you've been arrested before, what your age is, what your, uh, your job is, how much money you make, and then a program kicks out whatever sentence you should get. I think it would be a good tool to have, but it shouldn't be relied on entirely. Why not? Well, I just know that there's like certain statistics or we'll say certain things about a ethnic group, like they're more likely to do this, more likely to do that. So if they input that into a system, then the system will be that certain person of a certain group. More likely to do something. But wouldn't it 
but wouldn't it remove the bias from the judge? I guess if it was made on a system that wasn't biased already. If so someone the, who made it wasn't biased, if someone who made it was like completely like. All right, so you think that uh, it might not be a bad idea, but the system, because it's already biased, will just would just continue to be biased as a result. A little bit, yes. I think it'd be nice to have, and then what they say, the judge can take into account. So, is is bias, do you think, the number one thing that causes this racial disparity in sentencing? I think it's pretty high on the list. And bias by whom? The power. So, like, would that be police and prosecutor and judge and corrections and parole board, or like everyone along the line? I wouldn't say everyone, but I feel like there's a bigger majority of people. I think it is changing, but like right now, I would say they're and uh, is it individual bias or is it systemic? I would say systemic. Which makes it a lot harder to fix. So how do you fix systemic racism? I'm going to have to do more research on that. Well, but just, I do know that there's like, there's um, organizations that work to bring attention to it. Like? Um, well, the ACLU, I know, brings attention to it in like different types of crimes or different types of issues. Um, the Open Society Foundation, I think it's what it's called. Yep, Open Society, Open Justice Society, yep. Uh, and then the Sentencing Project, those were like some that I saw. I'm sure it's not and what are they doing? Um, I think they have like petitions and like ways you can donate to help. They have like, they have people, I think, like people in those type of positions that work with them. I'm not sure. I think, let's take my word for it. So the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties uh, Union, um, they have fleets of lawyers who are trying to bring lawsuits against states and, and cities and the federal government for um, civil rights violations. Uh, they are trying to help uh, represent people who have had civil rights their civil rights violated. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things happening. So, like, and then like the reason you donate is to help support those paying those lawyers so that they can do their job. Um, it's really cool. Have you seen any of the incidents that have come out this week? No, I haven't looked at the news. I think actually I did hear something about there was this cop who confused the taser and a gun. Correct. But that's all I heard about it. Correct. I didn't so. Uh, 
he was pulled over for having a um, uh, one of those little like uh, trees that hang that, that just that make your car smell nice. Um, little. Yes. I know. I know So he had one of those from his rearview mirror, which is a, a civil infraction. So they pulled him over for that. Uh, then when they pulled him over, they found out he had a warrant for, I think, failure to appear. And then they told him that they were going to arrest him. Uh, he got back into his car. She drew her service revolver. Uh, she yelled, taser, taser, taser. Then she shot him with it um, and claimed that she messed up and just grabbed the wrong thing. She thought she was grabbing her taser when she was grabbing her gun. And now he's dead. Wasn't she on the force or still is on the force? I don't know what happened to her. She's like, resigned since now. Yeah, she was on the force for like 20 something years. She's She resigned this week, obviously. Um, and so she's no longer on the force. Um, and it happened, I don't know, like three miles from where the George Floor trial is happening. So uh, Minnesota's not looking so good right now. Um, and it's bringing up a lot of the stuff that happened last year. You know, do is there inherent racism in like that? I like the law enforcement. I believe there is. I think there is. And so, does that lead to some of the sentencing stuff? Because if they're targeting and arresting people who are black and brown more than they are people who are white, then don't you get more black and brown people arrested? And then don't you get more black and brown people convicted? Yeah. Right. And so how does this, how do you fix this if it's a, if it's a problem? Because I, I do, I mean, you've been in the room, right? We've had lots of police officers in our room. I don't believe they're all racists. Yeah, I don't think they're all racist either. I think it's just because there is, it's easier to see them as bad. So if the racism is an individual, if it's not like individual officers aren't making decisions because they're racist, individual officers are making decisions and they're part of a system, once like systemic thing, like how do you fix the system? I have a question about the police. Don't they do training for like only a couple of months? Uh, police are constantly being re retrained. So, so like, you go to the academy and that's like, like, say, like a few months long or six months long or whatever. And then after the academy, you do you work with a field training officer for a while. Um, and then after the field training officer says you're okay, then you can go out on the road by yourself but you have to, you're constantly recertifying on stuff. You're constantly re, being retrained. Um, it's probably the number one thing that police do besides their being out on the road doing their job is being trained. I just, I feel like they could be trained more dead. In what topics? So I know that there's issues with mental health, that they don't really know how to like approach someone who has mental health issues. So I feel like 
they could be trained in that a lot better. That could lead to a lot of different situations, different outcomes. And also, in, um, in racial issues, I don't really know how to explain All right, so let's take each one of those. Uh, mental health. Uh, do you think that the police should be trained better in dealing with mental health? Or do you think that the police, that shouldn't be their job? Well, I know that the police are always like the first to the scene, so they're gonna come across those situations. So they should themselves should be able to get better. I wouldn't say completely like know everything about it, like know how to approach someone, know how to calm the situation down, and then transfer it to someone. So, do you remember the ICAT training that we did earlier this year? Mm -hmm, I think so, and you showed us a video. Yeah. So yeah. all of that is about how to talk down people who have, uh, you know, mental issues, how to deal with uh, people who are distraught, how to use your verbal language and your communication skills to take care of it rather than just, you know, going to force. So, in, you know, certainly in Attleboro, you know, we are training people on that. Uh, and Attleboro off, has a uh, mental health person who we work with. That's even better. And we have a decent relationship with Fuller, where we have the which is the mental health hospital in, in Attleboro. Uh, so the police, um, the the police work well with them, and you know have a good relationship where they like know when to bring people to them or how to access the the services that they have. Um, and so I think, you know, there are places that are doing some work on this. Um, but then there's also the large issue of like, should mental health be part of something that police have to deal with? Or should there be a separate, a separate number that you call instead of 911, you dial 511 and get the mental health people who then come and respond. I don't really, I think that's a good idea, but I do know that some situations could be dangerous because I remember you showing us a video where the lady had the knife in her hand, I think. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe if those people are trained to handle dangerous situations. Should they be armed? Not with guns, definitely. Because we, because the police are armed with guns, and we send them to deal with issues. So, like part of the defund the police movement isn't about like taking money away from police and punishing them. It's about rather than giving money to the police to do this, we create a separate organization that takes care of that for them. Right. So, we have non-armed mental health workers who deal with mental health cases. That actually sounds like a good idea. And we dispatch them the way that we would dispatch like a fire department. Okay, I think you changed my mind. Uh, well, I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm trying to say like when, you know, there are, there are the ideas that like over the last 20, 30 years, more and more and more have been put on the police's shoulders 
and the training hasn't been adequate. And then like, no, no kidding, things go bad. Um, maybe we should uh, look at it or try to approach it differently. Right. So then the other one you talked about was bias. Um, there's been a lot of research that says that when you train police in anti-bias training, they often say, wow, I never realized that. That's pretty crazy. Um, bias is a real thing and we believe in it. And then they go and still act as biased as they ever did. And not just police, everyone, teachers, you know, we anti-bias training. Yes. Well, I missed that. I said the general population. Yeah. I right. So how do you get, how do you, like, if we recognize that I have a bias, how do I get me to change my actions as a result? That's a hard question because I don't know. It's easier to change an individual, but then when you bring it, it's like a whole group. It's harder. And so, what they've are you familiar with? Eight can't wait. No. Um. So what they've found is that if you try to like just convince people that they're racist or biased, uh, that you can get them to see that, but it doesn't change their behavior. Uh, and so there's an organization called Eight Can't Wait. Can you see my screen? Yes, I can. Uh, and what they say is that there are certain policies and that if we change the policy, uh, it will change people's behavior. Uh, and so the eight that they're saying are uh, ban chokeholds and strangleholds, uh, require de-escalation techniques and training, uh, require a warning before shooting, require to exhaust all alternatives before shooting, uh, that you have a duty to intervene, which means you have to intervene if you see something going wrong, uh, stop shooting at mo moving vehicles, require a use of force continuum, and require comprehensive reporting. And it says that the cities that do that um, end up having way less use of force issues and way less issues on racism. And so what they found is that you can change how people uh, how people how this works and you're so you're not saying hey you're racist you're saying hey don't choke people any people and if you do that you will reduce choking black and brown people more and so you have cities like you know boston has all but one so they have seven out of the eight attleboro has seven out of the eight um chicago has all eight soon, uh, but you also have cities that have um, almost none of them, or Kansas City has literally zero out of eight of them. Uh, and you have, where is it's here? So like Minneapolis is missing three and they just changed one. Um, and so you have different cities where the idea is 
policy, changing in policy will result in less bias enforcement. I like that. That's good that they have that. I feel like it should be a requirement for all police stations. And as I said, we interviewed, uh, um, no, it was my juniors this year. We interviewed the chief of police in Attleboro and we went over these and all eight of them exist in our policies. Oh no, sorry. Seven of them exist. We're missing duty to intervene. Um, but the chief explained why that is not in the use of force policy. That's just an expectation um, of employment. And if he finds that you didn't do it, he will like you know, punish you for not doing it. So although it's not specifically delineated in the use of force policy, it is an expectation of employment. Um, and so his, his argument was that Attleboro has all eight of these and that like, and he was very aware of them. He knew what they were. He knew what the, the mission was. Um, and so there are places that are trying real hard to reform themselves from the inside. Well, that's good. <laughs> Thoughts? I think that's good that they're doing that. So what I'd recommend you look at is uh, Project Zero, which is the, the organization that sits on top of this. Uh, they're trying to do policy changes. They're trying to do uh, legislation. They're trying to do a whole lot of stuff uh, to end violence. And then uh, Project Zero, the one I just showed you, that I'm sorry, Eight Can't Wait, the one I just showed you, sits underneath Project Zero as one of their like policy initiatives. And they're doing some really interesting things. And their, uh, their whole thing is anti-bias um, enforcement and anti-bias things. Now, that doesn't necessarily fix sentencing. Um, eight, uh, eight Can't Wait doesn't fix that. Project Zero does try to uh, up approach that. Project Zero. Um, I'm sorry, Campaign Zero. Project Zero's a different thing. Uh, campaign Zero, we can end police violence in America. Um, and they have things like, um, you know, going all the way up to making sure that police contracts are fair, um, making sure there's community representation on the police department, uh, implicit bias training, mental health training, community representation and policing, body cameras, that sort of stuff. And so, what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out the 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 best ways to reduce um, bias criminal justice system. Good. So, so there are people. There are, uh, and obviously after the protest this summer with the George George Floyd. Uh, murder, um, they are in the forefront, right? And now people are talking about a lot of these things and there is some change happening. Uh, it probably isn't going to be as fast as you want it to be. But uh, then your job is to go out and to make it happen faster. Anything else about the topic that you found interesting? Uh, no, not really. All right, so that leads to the last question. 
Why should the world care about Aaliyah Martins? Because I care a lot about other people. So it would just be nice if the feeling is mutual. I missed that last part. It'd be nice if the feeling is mutual. Okay. So uh, we should care about you because you care about us. Yes. Okay. And are you going to make the world a better place with that caring? I hope so. Well, then I do too. Um, I, I think that you are more than capable of doing that, and I, I hope, uh, I don't hope, I expect good things from you. Thank you. And as someone who has young children, uh, I need you to grow up and make the world a better place so that they grow up in a better world. I will. Okay. Well, with that promise, uh, thank you for spending some time with me today. Thank you for having me.